Thank you, Jaden. I can tell you one thing I was not doing when I was in eighth grade was reading scripture in church, that's for sure. <laughs> I was in church, but I wasn't going to get up in front, that's for sure. Thanks. So she was talking about being baptized. I want to let you know on August 15th, we will have a, a service of baptism uh, here on Sunday morning. So if you've been thinking about it, that will be the next opportunity. So today we are continuing our journey through First John, uh, these uh, verses that Jaden just read. And uh, as we look at this passage, John will continue to focus on the same topics that we've been looking at, faith, love, and obedience. And as Steve mentioned last week, as John continues to come back to these topics, every time he does, there's new uh, nuance and depth and, and uh, understanding. And that's certainly true in the passage that we're looking at this morning. And so as we flow through this passage, John's going to look at faith and love first, then he'll look at love and obedience, and then he will look at overcoming faith. And so faith is really what bookends this passage. And ultimately, we're going to see that we have a faith that overcomes. And so John first talks about faith and love. Look at verse 1 again. He writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And so if you believe, if you believe and keep on believing that Jesus is the Christ, in other words, he's the one that came into the world to die on the cross for our sins and, and to be raised again, if you believe that, if you keep believing that, that is proof that you have been born of God. It's confirming evidence that the Spirit of God has been at work in your life and has made you alive spiritually. In the second part of the verse, John says that everyone who loves the Father will also love whoever has been born of him. Whoever has been born of him. And it literally could be translated, uh, will love, everyone who loves the one who begets will love the one begotten of him. Everyone who loves the one who begets also loves the one begotten of him. In other words, if you love the Father, you'll love the child. You know, over the years... Um, here at Faith, Manhattan's a transit community, right? People come and go. And so as I was thinking about uh, many families that I've gotten to know and, and fathers that I've gotten to know over the years uh, who I've come to love, and then they've moved on, uh, whether that's Josh or whether that's uh, uh, Greg or Eric, Nathan. Um, most of these are, are guys that, uh, actually, I think all these guys have been in the military, but uh, that's part of what's made them move on. But, uh, you know, most of them started their family when they were here at Faith. And so kind of knew their kids a little bit, but the reality is I don't know their children now. But you know what? I love their children because I love the fathers. And, and that's what John is saying. If you love the father, you love the father's children. If you love the father, you will love the father's children. Now, John has made it clear, uh, if you've been with us, that, that we should love one another, right? And, and as I've thought about how he says it here, I think the nuance is he's getting a little more specific. If I think about loving one another, there's a sense where I can kind of think, yeah, I love, you know, others in the family of God. And if I think kind of generally about that, uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm doing that. But the way John says it here, he's saying it more specifically. If I love the father, I will love the child born of him. In other words, I will love each child born of God, each child without distinction. Do you love each child born of your heavenly father? Or is there any way that you sort of allow yourself that to, to love most is surely good enough? 
John doesn't say it's enough to love most. It's enough to love those who are like you. It's enough to love those with whom you naturally connect. That it's enough to love those with whom you agree on all matters of theology or political perspectives or whatever. John doesn't say any of this. If we pick and choose whom we love based on these kind of things, we're not exhibiting the kind of love that demonstrates that we love the Father. We are to love each one born of the Father. Now, if you're like me, I'm sure someone has probably actually come to your mind, someone that's hard to love, a brother or sister in the faith that's hard to love, right? We all have, whether it's conflict you've had or just some kind of extreme differences between you, and, and maybe you've sort of put them in this category that I'm loving one another, I'm loving most, and it's kind of okay if I just let this relationship sit over there and I'm not really loving them, right? Here's what I would say. I mean, John is saying, if you love the father, you love the child. You love each child. So what do you do about that? Do you just let it sit over there? Is like this, you know, I'm going to just love most. Uh, here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, what if you would just begin to pray for that person? Maybe there's no other action of movement towards him right now, but what if you could just begin to pray for that person as an act of love? Pray God's blessing on their life. Pray God's good work in their life. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that love is it's this thing that's kind. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own way. And, and so what if we begin to just pray and, and begin to think about how, if they're, if they're still in your life in some way, that you could just by faith treat them in that way. Because if you love the Father, you will love the child born of him. In verse 2, John goes on to talk about love and obedience. And uh, he says that it's through these things that we can know that we, that, uh, we love those born of God. And so in verse 2 he says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. John does something kind of unusual here. As, as we've been working our way through John, typically what he says is it's your love for the children of God that's the confirming evidence that you actually love God. The fact that you love that one that you can see shows that you love the one that you cannot see. That's typically how he said it. But he kind of reverses the order here. He says that the way we test our love for the children of God, how do we know we love the children of God? If we love God and keep his commandments. And I think in changing the order here, what John is doing, he's demonstrating just how inseparable love for God and love for his children actually is. We, you can't love God without loving his children. You can't love his children without loving God. They're just, they go together. They're inseparable. Further, John says that we know we love the children of God when we obey his commandments. And, and to love God and to obey his commandments, they go together as well. They are inseparable. And so if we love God, if we obey him, we know that we will love the children of God. And it makes sense, right? Because if we love God, if we obey him, one of the commandments, the main commandment he's given is that we would love one another. And so we know if we love God and obey him, we will love the children of God. Verse three, he says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. They go together. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. If we love God, we will obey him. We will keep his commandments. And we've said this before on this uh, sermon series, but let me just say it again. We are all in process, right? We are all in process in terms of obeying him. And so none of us obeys perfectly, but if we love God, we will demonstrate that with a desire to obey him, with a growing expression of obedience of his commands 
which John says are not burdensome. God's commandments are not burdensome, which has a sense of like they're too much. They're too severe. They're, they're kind of oppressive. They're irksome. They're almost irritating. John says they are not burdensome. Do you ever feel like God's commandments are burdensome? That they're too much? That they're too severe? They're irksome? If we think we are, they are, we do not rightly understand God's commandments. Uh, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is calling us to a life of discipleship, a life of obedience, a life of obeying commands, a life of learning to live life his way. That's what the yoke is all about. And he says, my yoke is, my burden is light. Do you see God's commands that way? Or are they burdensome? I want to say a couple of words to some different, because I, I think at different points in our journey, we all struggle with this at some point. So there's a few groups of people I want to say a couple of things to. And so um, it's possible that there are some here that like you're pondering uh, a life of following Jesus. You haven't come to a personal faith in Christ yet. And, uh, and you're just, you're pondering as you look and as you're kind of looking at the scriptures and, and the commandments, you look at it and it just seems a little bit like too much. It seems burdensome. I've known guys who are wrestling with coming to the, making this decision who have actually told me, like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. In other words, they're saying it, it just seems burdensome. It seems too much. I can't, I don't think I can obey and live the life that I'm, I'm supposed to. And, and so here's my thought for you. Until you trust Jesus, you can't. God's commands, in a sense, will be burdensome. But see what happens when we trust Jesus by faith, he comes into our lives. And as we've been looking here, we become born from above. We were dead spiritually. We become alive spiritually. God gives us new appetites and interests and desires to obey him. And the spirit of God comes to dwell inside of us, enabling us to actually obey what we cannot do until we come to know Jesus. And so are they burdensome before you know Christ? They are. Because you can't do it on your own. But by faith, you trust, and that changes everything. I mean, that is a game changer. And so that's my thought for you. Here, here's another group of people, and, and this is so like for younger people. I think sometimes younger people might be at a place where you might wrestle with this idea of God's commandments being burdensome. The reality is you're standing kind of looking forward at life, right? And uh, you don't have a lot of evidence yet of like, how does this all really work? Is it really going to be worth it to obey God? And so you're kind of looking at your future ahead of you. And so maybe you've grown up and you've got parents that have followed the way of Jesus and they probably do. That's why you are here, why you're watching at home. But for you, I mean, you're looking at some of your friends. You're looking at some of the choices they're making and they're not going the way of Jesus. They're kind of deciding to live you know, different, and uh, you, you kind of look at that, and it looks like that looks kind of fun. That looks kind of exciting, and you're really wrestling. Am I going to own this faith as my own, or am I going to go that way? And you kind of look at God's commandments, and you, you kind of are wondering, is this going to, like, make my life a little bit miserable to go the way of Jesus, right? They, the commandments look burdensome. 
Here's my encouragement to you. In this room, there are men and women who have walked this journey for a really long time. And, and they're not standing at the start looking forward by faith, hoping it's not burdensome. They're standing a ways down that road, having experienced the truth that God's commandments are not burdensome. They will tell you that they've experienced what Psalm 19 says, that the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clear, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so what I'm saying is there's men and women around you that, that have actually experienced that because they've walked this path of obedience and they found that, that God's commandments are not burdensome, but there's great reward. They found life, they found joy, they found wisdom. And so my encouragement to you as you wrestle with that is let the testimony of those that are a little further down the road encourage you to, to continue to follow the way of Jesus. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. For all of us, you know, or for any who might be struggling, and we all do at times, we, we sometimes come to this place where we think this commandment is burdensome. One of the passages I've often gone to to meditate on or reflect on um, is Romans 12, 2, which says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. God's commandments are good, acceptable, and perfect. And that word acceptable means well-pleasing. It's not like it's going to be dissatisfying if you obey. It's well-pleasing. It will satisfy your soul. That's what's true of God's commandments, no matter how hard it is. So, so John is not saying his commandments are necessarily easy, right? To say they're not burdensome is not to say they're not hard. They, they, some are hard. They're not burdensome. And they're well pleasing. And I was thinking about this this week. This was actually kind of shocking. I, had, I don't think I'd had this thought yet, but uh, I have been a follower of Jesus for over 50 years, over half a century. I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. It's been that long. And, and I was thinking, have I ever really regretted obedience in any area? And I spent some time thinking about that. And I can honestly say there is not one time where I've regretted obeying God plenty of regrets when I haven't obeyed God. A lot of regrets I can point to that, but, but I cannot think of a time. Some of it's been hard. Some of it's been really hard, but not once have I regretted obeying God. And that's the proof. That's the testimony that God's will is good. It's acceptable. It's well-pleasing. It's perfect. And so whether you're hesitant to submit your life to Jesus, whether you're a younger person wondering if following Jesus is worth it, or, or you're just someone in a place where you're wondering, if obeying God is just too hard, it's burdensome, that the sacrifice is too much, hear what John says, God's commandments. They are not burdensome. They're life-giving. They are life-giving. There's joy on the other side of obedience. And so in talking about love and obedience, John tells us God's commands are not burdensome because of the nature of them. That's the nature of God's commands. They're not burdensome. But as he goes on, he helps us understand that part of what makes them not burdensome is what's true of us. 
In verse 4, John talks about overcoming and faith. He says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, is our faith. So part of what makes obeying God hard is, is the world, right? And by world, he means everything that's opposed to God. It's, it's values, um, attitudes opposed to God. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. It's a boastful pride of life that he talks about in 2.16. But, but John says that everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And overcomes means victory. And we see that in the, the passage. It's the same root word. We, by faith, we overcome. We, we walk in victory. And it's a victory that Jesus has already accomplished for us. And we personally experience that. We personally realize that through faith. That's what makes it ours. And, and the nature of faith is made clear in the next verse. He says, who is it that overcomes the world except this one? He says, it's the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so the, the faith that John is talking about is faith in Jesus as the Son of God. When we when anyone comes to faith in Jesus, that person's born again. God begins to transform desires and tendencies. And where we once followed the ways of the world, God now transforms our desires to conform to his. What once was hard to do, we're now empowered to do. There's something I want each of you to hear regarding what John is saying. John is not saying that there's like two categories of believers. There's the category overcomer and then something else. He, he's not saying that. He's saying, if you have been born of God, you overcome. That is what is true of you. If you are born of God, you overcome. You are in Christ. You are in his victory. And, it, and it's your faith. If you believe, that is what is actually true about you. And so you may be struggling in some ways. There may be areas of obedience you're struggling with right now. And you might, begin, you might be telling yourself a story that you're just sort of a, you know, an insufficient Christian who just you know, doesn't measure up. The reality is you need to tell yourself the truth that in Christ you overcome. That is your story. That is your destiny. That is your, your hope. And I would encourage you to meditate on that truth. You have a faith that overcomes. And this life's a journey. This life's a struggle. But you have a faith that overcomes because of what Christ has done for you, what he has accomplished in you. Today we're celebrating communion. And, and my encouragement in these moments, you know, we take bread and we take juice and it reminds us that Jesus died for us, right? He paid the penalty for us. He rose from the dead. And, and that's where the victory was accomplished. And so in these moments today, let me encourage you to go back to the, the truth of that event that Jesus entered this world and for you he died and rose again. That's where the victory is rooted in. It's in Christ and in your faith in him. And so let that nurture you today. Let that strengthen you today. At faith, we invite all who have confessed Jesus as their Savior to, to share with us in this celebration. You don't have to be a regular attender here, a member, or anything like that. If you're a believer, we invite you to join with us. In a moment, we will uh, take the, the bread. We'll, we'll read some scripture, and then we'll eat together, and then we'll read some scripture again, and we will drink together. And so if you're here in person, uh, there's these little cups that are provided for you outside the, the doors. If you don't have them, you can go right now and uh, grab those. There's some allergen-free options if you, you need those. And we're excited to actually have cups that actually open. 
this week. We know some of you have only had partial communion for a while because those bread wafers have been hard to get out of there. These will work a lot better. Um, if you're at home, as Sam said, feel free to use whatever you have available. We know that some of you uh, might still be exploring what you think about Jesus. We're so glad you're here, and we would ask that just during this time you would meditate and reflect on the things that we've talked about today. But uh, Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for what is revealed here today for us. God, we thank you for the truth that for all who are born again, they overcome. In these moments today, as we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God, refresh us, remind us of these truths, remind us of the victory that Jesus has won, remind us that we are in him and everything that that means. And so as we taste the bread, as we drink the juice, God, help us meditate deeply on what these things uh, uh, refer to, what they reference. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we are so grateful for you. We're grateful for your obedient life. We're grateful that you suffered and died for us. We're thankful that you rose again, that you might give us new life. Thank you that we live in those truths, that that is true of us. And Father, out of these truths, may we be people who walk uh, as overcomers. May we be people who obey you. Help us to obey the command to love each child born of you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? I'm no longer. 